Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Ashley. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friends. Everybody, this is Sarah Plattenberg. Sarah is a educational advocate. She was a teacher. She has taught in Illinois and in Virginia. She now works as an advocate at a firm that is called Educational Advocacy and Consulting. And the firm has offices in Naperville, which is in, which is in the Chicago area, as well as in Northern Virginia um, in the DC area. Sarah has three boys. All three of them are on IEPs for specific learning disabilities. And Sarah's oldest son also has type one diabetes. So Sarah sees special education as a parent and as a teacher, she can look in the lens um, and see things from both sides of the table. So I'm so excited to have Sarah here. And what we're going to talk about today is starting off the school year on the right foot. So Sarah's got some tips for us. We're going to start kind of wide and we're going to dig a little bit deeper on each of them. And at the end of the day, I hope that this helps us all start off the year, year after year on the right foot. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. Sarah and I have been friends for a couple of years, and um, she's the girl I call if I've got a question, especially about a specific learning disability. So this is really fun. Oh, well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get more messaging out. Our goal is always to impart onto parents what we know and try and help as many students as we can. So I'm very excited to be here. Good. Okay. Well, let's start off if you can, Sarah. And just, I mean, we're talking about starting the school year off on the right foot. So yep. that's, you know, we're recording this right now in September. Actually, it's Labor Day weekend. Lots of schools are probably starting on Tuesday. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning also that we are recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic. So while the theme of this will be starting every school year off on the right foot. It's hard to live in this environment right now and not to mention a couple of specific things about COVID. So no matter when you're listening to this podcast, you uh, might be thinking, oh my gosh, that was years ago. Hopefully we will be in that position soon. <laughs> but this will apply to every school year also. So Sarah, are there some like just general tips that you can give people kind of categories of um, big themes that will help parents start the school year off on the right foot? Oh my goodness. Yes, that is, um, I think, probably one of the most important topics to cover as we're starting the school year is really looking out for how we can get students starting the school year in the positive, right? And really being proactive to set students up for success. Um, when we're looking at kind of the broad picture, we're looking at setting up a communication system and really communicating with uh, the IEP team, specialists, um, really collaborating, and then also progress monitoring. 
when we're looking at a child's uh, progress in the general ed setting, as well as with IEP goals, we really want to look at the data, really look and see what teachers are, are saying about our child's um, abilities in the classroom. Then we can compare them to what we're seeing at home. So we really have to understand what progress monitoring should look like, and then what we see at home. And so I'm gonna talk a little bit about what to be looking for and what questions to ask. And then also I'm gonna talk about how, how do we get involved as parents? Um, how can we make sure our child, I always say, stays on the rails, right? Is moving forward and that we're not losing ground. And like Ashley was saying, in the midst of a pandemic with COVID, I think that all parents, including myself, are grappling with the best ways to support our students at home. And we're all um, very much more aware of where our child may be struggling. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and I hope that this can um, at least help you get, uh, get your foot in the door and start, start the school year off more successfully. Yay. Okay. Well, I mean, those are three kind of big things, right? We're going to talk communication. We're going to talk progress monitoring, and we're going to talk about being involved. Um, so let's dive a little bit deeper in. So with communication, is there anything that you recommend that parents talk to the school about before the school year starts? What should that communication look like? So again, in the midst of COVID, it looks a little different this year than it generally does because um, our firm, um, and, I, and I'm aware most other advocacy firms, most advocates just in general are, are encouraging parents to take their own data. So if, if over the last six months you have taken data, you've uh, jotted down observations, you've taken note of, of how your child is doing with learning at home, um, regression, uh, new areas of need. If you have collected any of that information, we absolutely are encouraging you to send that on to the school. Um, what will likely happen with that information is it gets folded into the present levels um, it, within the IEP. And um, it's going to be really important as we're heading into this 2020-2021 school year that um, we are, are documenting how this very long break um, from the typical school day has impacted our students. And so if you are heading into the school year and you haven't already, I encourage you to reach out to the school and, and let them know I really need to update the present levels um, within my child's IEP um, and I have input to share. Um, Within the IEP, it is always required to include parental input. Um, I think that that's an okay place to put some of this information, but my recommendation is to really to use your data in what's the present level. So for instance, if you see a regression in reading, uh, make sure that that's noted in the reading section of the present levels and it doesn't all um, get just kind of all put into the parental um, input section because I my fear is that it will get glossed over unfortunately. You know I think that's a really good point because in some states don't even have parental input sections but when they do it's disjointed because there's there's a present levels for reading or for the reading goal and then there's this parent interest statement that comes in at the end or is attached as a document to the IEP or whatever. What about just like um, stuff that might go into a um, 
like an all about me kind of book. I mean, do you have your clients send all about me books or like into summer emails with changes in medication and um, summer interest and social activities and that kind of thing also? Absolutely. Yes, we do all of those things. So um, we do a lot of um, summer interests, like you said, all about me, but for many, many of my clients, especially clients who have, um, you know, more substantial kind of unique characteristics, we always schedule, and I call them just that, like a get to know you kind of meeting. It's very mm -hmm. informal usually. Um, typically it's the case manager, the classroom teacher, the parents, maybe an administrator is there, but it's an opportunity for the parent to really explain um, what it is that the school needs to know about their child. And we go through everything um, during that time from like questions that the teachers might have about a health condition, or if the students, I have some students who have a really difficult time with eye contact. So we talk about, you know, he's not yeah. trying to be disrespectful. He just, he, this is part of his disability. And so right. it's all very clear what we need to do and say, um, and give the teachers an opportunity to ask questions so that we have already set the stage for what this child's going to look like coming into school. Um, and likewise, I love that you brought up medication changes, um, changes like if you've moved or some big events has happened over the summer, sharing all of that information happens during this kind of get to know you. You know, we have students transferring from different schools or different environments. And so it's very important for the team to know that. Oftentimes though, what I do, um, especially this year is I'm coupling those like get to know you type in, informal meetings with an IEP meeting. And yeah. so, so like they're almost back to back. Um, and for the middle school and the high school students, what I like to do uh, is request a rotating schedule. So if there's like a 40 minute time frame that they're gonna give us to have this informal meeting, I say, okay, well, can each of the teachers rotate in and out for five minutes so that they've created um, you know, a schedule beforehand. So like Mrs. Smith or whoever will be on, on camera or in the meeting for five minutes and then she'll leave when the next one comes in. That's generally, good. Though, yeah, generally the case manager will stay the whole time. So that way um, there's some continuity. Yeah. I love that. You know, I have um, often popped into scenarios with middle schoolers and high schoolers that um, part of their disability is um, a lack of self-advocacy and a lack of ability to, or right. lack of skills to organize themselves. And I say to parents, well, I mean, did you tell them that like homework shouldn't be in the planner or something like that? And they just haven't thought because if you have a middle schooler and the disability might not include a, a speech and language impairment, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Like the middle schooler is going to say, butt out, mom, I don't want for you to talk to my teachers. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, but I always say, well, just even if it's not a meeting, and I love your idea about an IEP meeting also, but even if it isn't a meeting, you can just send a message to all six or seven teachers saying, you know, this is how dyslexia looks in my child. And then you can talk about the executive planning function, or this is how um, Down syndrome or autism looks in my child. And you can talk about motor skills or social skills, or I love your idea about the, um, the communication, like lack of respect thing, you know, I mean, um, I think that's really important to do, and that advocacy goes a long way with the um, with the teachers also. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that that communication that happens before the school year starts is 
critical, like, you know, critical in getting students started on the right track. So absolutely. What about communication, Sarah, from school to the parents? What should teachers be doing proactively? And if they aren't doing it, what should parents be asking teachers for? So, you know, I, I think that that's a really good question. In today's environment, again, it looks so different. So some of the questions that we're asking now are very different than what we've asked previously. So this year we're asking, you know, how is school going to look for, for my child? What, uh, what is the school day going to look like? When is the break going to be? When is lunch going to be? How will my child know when to switch? And how do they get onto the computer? And all of those pieces that have to go in to your planning before the first day of school even happens. So um, the school needs to be providing if it's a tutorial or uh, I've gotten a lot of YouTube videos on how to get online right now, but I've also had to really help families ask a lot of questions about um, when will services be provided or when, um, when and how are you going to provide the, um, the accommodations because accommodations could be really provided um, easily in a classroom, you know, a quick reminder or re-engagement or, um, you know, um, a band on the seat or, you know, it's endless breaks. But when we're not in the school building, we have to plan all of it out so strategically so that it can happen. Um, and so that communication has got to start before the school year, um, if you're able to do that. And that a lot of that is coming from the school. So we ask a lot of the questions, but we're waiting for them to give mm -hmm. us the information about how that's going to look. Mm -hmm. um, so ask as many questions as you can of the school. Um, I have been asking a ton of questions about service time and how that's going to be broken down. And that's something that you could even ask before the school year starts, whether you're in the building or not in the building. Yeah. Learning, what yeah. do these service minutes look like? How does this break down to the goals? So what are you expecting of me and what am I expecting of you? Right. You know, so many times, like I've had it just in the last couple of weeks where parents have said, you know, I don't even know what was advertised to even know if what was advertised matches up with what's actually happening because we didn't have the conversation. So I think that's really important. I mean, it's, but it is, it's kind of like, like, what did you say I was going to get again? I don't remember. Um, well, yeah, and I think that's a good point because, right, everything that's in this last signed IEP is what you should be getting. There shouldn't be yes. a yes. separate document with, you know, 50% of what you were getting. And if there is something that, yeah, yeah, so that, that, that shouldn't be happening right now. So, um, you know, asking all of those questions is going to be really critical. And one little trick that I have found as far as receiving that information is taking and drawing like an actual grid of the entire school day and plugging in, okay, this goal will be worked on during this block of time. And this is the person who's working on it. And this is how much of the service time that was, you know, um, outlined in the IEP is allotted for this goal. So that yeah. there's no question about who's doing what and how it's going to get done. I love that. That's, that is the executive plan, right? But that is filling it all out. You know, in a normal school year, I um, also recommend to my families that they ask the school what information they want from the child um, so, that I, so that my parents can send in whatever information it is. What do you want to know about the child? Do you want to know behavioral strategies? Do you want to know um, social interests? Um, do you want pictures of the child so that you can make reward charts? 
um, you know, kind of all of that stuff. Like, what can I give you to help to make things more seamless? And what right. I always explain to people having, because, you know, like you, I was a teacher too. Um, and I think back to some of the children that I had that struggled so much. And there was always a big aha moment. Like, there was always something that I thought, oh, that explains so much. And it right. could have been a diagnosis that I right. didn't know about. Oh or, my you know, a, yeah, or a social thing, you know, like a child that, um, had, had had a parent pass away or something like that, where if I, as a teacher, had known, um, I would have acted differently as the child's teacher. And so um, one example that I can think of very easily was I had a child in my class that had a tick. And um, the parents did not know that the child had a tick, but the prior year's teacher had talked to the parent about it. And I thought, gosh, I wish that I had known because it, the child was speaking out very, very, very consistently. Um, and for the first two or three weeks of school, I would say, okay, not really your turn to talk right now. Well, I mean, if it's involuntary, I would have treated it differently, you know? Um, and so I think if we can communicate those things, that's really important. And the last thing that I'll say to that is um, so many children are incapable or have a lot of trouble communicating their interests and their activities, their um, their day-to-day -day kind of things that they like to do. And if teachers don't know that, if they don't know that you play on the basketball team or that you like boats or that, you know, all those things, then what are you going to write for your journal entry if somebody's helping you with your journal entry? What are you going to um, put on that reward chart if you don't know what you like on the playground? That kind of thing. So I think it's really important, right, Sarah? Oh, it's, I, I mean, I, everything you're saying is what we do every year, right? As parents, because we know to do that and as we were teachers and so we're doing that and that's the information I think so many parents really need to know is, yeah, teachers want to receive this information. And um, I, we work very, very collaboratively with schools, but this year I have been saying, um, we have to give more information than the school even thought they needed about our children. Right. And so that collaboration is, is so critical right now. And I've been telling my clients like, we're going to go to the table and we're going to come with a solution. So we're not going to come to the table and say, you know what, Johnny struggled for six months and now what are we going to do? We're going to come to the table and we're going to say, Johnny really struggled and it was really, really difficult for him, but here's what's working for Johnny. And here's what I think we need to do to get him back on track. And so, so that we can really collaborate and figure out the best way to support Johnny's needs, whatever they might be. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, and some of our students are stretched so thin, right? So after school, they have four different therapies or they're on three different sports teams or they have a divorced, um, family setting. And so they're going to mom's house one day and dad's the other. And all of those pieces of information go into how we build programming and right. Right. how teachers can support students best. So I agree with you 100% before the school year starts even just to share that information. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really, um, really cool. So what do we do in a normal year when we are in a health pandemic and we aren't educating um, children at home or remotely or in a blended situation and all these different situations that we have in 2020, um, what should parents do when they get that IEP? Now it might have come in May, it might have come in December, but we're starting the school year off. 
We're going to start on the right foot. What do we do when we get that IEP? How can parents be involved with that document so that they do start the school year off on the right foot? Well, I think that's a really important question. Uh, we all know how intimidating an IEP can be. Hopefully when the parent has received the IEP, um, they've already collaborated on some parts of the IEP. So if it's an initial IEP and you're receiving it for the first time and it's in a draft form, um, then you're in a totally different place of the process than you are if it's you know, you're the third year in and we've already been tracking progress and then you get you get a new draft and you're looking at it. So um, if you are just starting this, though, or if you are a seasoned parent, the first thing that you have to do when you get your IEP is read it cover to cover. I mean, from the very first page to the very last word on the last page, because we want to make sure that the IEP is exactly how it was discussed and that you have all your questions answered. There is a lot of jargon in an IEP. And that's why um, it's overwhelming because it's like a different language. I always say it's a different language. I don't know about you, Ashley, but yeah. I, I feel like yes. there's a ton of acronyms um, and there's just so many terms that are thrown around and it gets overwhelming. And so understanding what you're reading is key to being able to support your child. So the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna read it cover to cover. Then you're going to look at it and you're going to make a list of any questions you have about it. So maybe the present levels don't reflect what you recall you talking about or the data doesn't reflect what you received last year. And then you're going to look and make sure that you understand the goals and that they reflect whatever it is you, you discussed. I think that, and this is maybe some of my own opinion, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are. I think it's really important for parents to review the IEP with the child, especially if the child's, you know, in upper elementary school or um, middle school or high school. And it doesn't mean that you're going through and saying, well, you're really struggling here, you're really struggling here. But, you know, explaining like these are the things you're going to really be working on this year. You know, Mrs. Jones is going to work with you on being able to talk to your friends and ask good questions or, um, you know, reading with uh, increased fluency, you know, just kind of making it like, Special education is a gift and we want to highlight that for kids and tell them that you get to work on this and this and this this year. And so, I um, mean, it's really important that you work really hard, but the teachers are going to work really hard. And these are the things that this document really highlights that you get to learn. I um, love that. Yeah, I, I think that it has to be IEPs and special education have got to be looked at through the lens of the fact that it's a gift to these children. And the IEP is the is the plan, right? It's our map to get there so that they yeah. can get maximum benefit from that plan. Um, and that's what I think is so important at the beginning of the year is yeah. using it as a map to then take it um, so that we can really follow it. Because we always hear about this thing, data drives instruction. But if we don't yeah. know what the data looks like, we have to look at the IEP to see what the data should be. And then we have to look at the data to see if the instruction is helping or if it needs to be tweaked. Right. And so what I, I love your idea about going through it with the child. Um, yep. And I, I do think that should be the first thing if the child um, is able to advocate right. for him or herself. And it, regardless at the child's learning level, I, I love that idea. Um, and I'm going to start to do that. But they think though that like, um, 
you know, sometimes students get the idea like they're getting pulled out of the room because they're in trouble or it's a bad thing. But if we just tell them, this is a special gift, you get to do this. I think that it sets them up to understand that this is really a fantastic, amazing opportunity for them that they get to take advantage of. Um, and so like, like what you were saying though, with the goals too, and this is not something I, I think we would discuss with our children, but understanding how that data collection is happening. So if yeah. the goal says, uh, you know, four out of five times in a month, well, then as a parent, you have to know that that goal is going to be run five times in a month and that you can at any point request to see the data. Yeah. So um, understanding what the goal means and that there are actually pieces of language in each of the goals um, that the school then knows our indicators for, oh, I have to run this goal five times in a month. The indicators, yes, yes, yes. yes. So I'll you know what I do? What? I what do do? go home with my IEP document and I like stuff simple. So I go home and I write down all of the goals. Like, yep. and I don't write it like, Jack should, blah, 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 exactly. But I just write like um, ad addition problems within yep. 20, um, 80% in four out of five trials. I write that. I just write like very basic so that I know what it is. And I put that on the fridge. And okay. then I have this little cart that I keep near my kitchen table. And it has kind of like the supplies for stuff so that I can just hit stuff if we have a second, you know? Yeah. I mean, we don't do it often. But I go to the goals and I think, okay, what did, oh, yeah, we've worked on that this week. We haven't worked on this. And this isn't a normal year. You know, this year in 2020, we've done everything. Um, but <laughs> then I can look because I need it in front of me. I need it accessible. I need it there all the time. And I need the materials there. Yep. And then I progress monitor during the year, but I don't really progress monitor. What I do is I set my phone up against the napkin holder on the kitchen table in selfie mode and I hit record and I go through math problems with them, you know, or flashcards or whatever it is. And I kind of have an idea about where the data is, you know, but at least I then know what he's doing at home because I'm working on the goals a little bit with him. It's not like what he's doing at school, but at least I kind of have a good sense about what he's doing at school. And it's like kind of progress monitoring. No, that's really good. And I, I've seen some of those videos and I <laughs> love them. <laughs> Some are better I, than others, Sarah. I, I think that that's amazing. I every time I've tried to video my kids, they they're like, no, don't don't video us. So trying to well, do it discreetly, but yeah, and if it doesn't work that way because you have a junior in high school or something, then you know you you sit down and you do it, and you make it fun, you make hot chocolate right. or whatever, and you take notes or you just kind of like store it in your memory of yeah, I don't think that we're having progress in that. Um, but then to me, that goes back to the communication that we talked about before, because we communicate at the beginning of the year, but then we also have to say, you know, I am just not seeing my child engage socially with other children at the football game or at the whatever. And I know we've got this goal. How's it going at school? And we continue that dialogue, right? Right. Well, and two other points I think that we have to make on the goals is when you're initially looking at an IEP, especially if you're neuter to this process and kind of understanding what the break, you know, how the different sections of the IEP, the, the present levels of performance um, 
should directly tie to those goals. So if you're going through and reading your child's strengths and needs, and you highlight every one of those needs, there should be a direct connection to a goal for that need. So, you know, we talk about being able to draw draw lines through the IEP. So here's the need. Okay, here's the goal to support that. And then here are the accommodations to support the student until they've mastered the goal, right? So we talk about doing that um, with every single IEP that we get. But I think that's one of the most fundamental, important things for a new parent to know is that there's a connection between the entire IEP. It starts here. I always explain that present level as the the foundation of the IEP. And so I always tell my newer clients, when we go to the meeting, just so you know, if we spend an hour talking about present levels, it's because that's the most important part of the IEP. The uh-huh. rest of the IEP will not fall into place and cannot be strong if we don't really we understand get that. starting, right? I love the idea of the draw a line through the IEP. So it's almost like present levels and then this yes. line goes through it. And then the line continues through the goal and then continues through the supports that are going to make that goal happen. Yeah. So they're awesome. all connected. It's a connection. Yeah. So, but one of the other pieces that really has to get some attention right now, particularly are the accommodations. So um, when you're looking at your child's IEP, go through those accommodations, read them, talk to your child about them. If you have a first grader or a kindergarten or a third grader, say to, say to them, if you had a magic wand and you can change anything about school, what would you change? Whatever they tell you, if it's something that's reasonable, right? Not like I need a unicorn at school with me, but something that's reasonable. Those are the accommodations. Those are the things your child's struggling with. We want to make sure we have accommodations in there. If it's, I wish I didn't have to sit so long. It's, pizza. I need more breaks. Like, what did you say? Pizza? Pizza. I want pizza every day. Oh, well, we can put pizza in. I mean, we could pretty much, we could, we could find a way to make that happen, right? Um, so, you know, really looking at those accommodations. Now, now, right now, today, what we're doing in all of our IEP meetings is I'm really going line by line through every single accommodation. How does this look in the virtual setting? Are you gonna be bringing actual papers to this family's home for the child to write on? Are you sending an email for the family then to print out? Uh, how are they gonna get copies of notes? How does this look if they need a small group? How does this look if they need frequent breaks or frequent check-ins or redirection? How will it look if my child you know, needs um, color-coded folders or um, if they you know, need um, extra breaks during the day? Who's gonna tell them it's time to take the break? So yeah. going through and really understanding who will be doing what and how it's going to look for your child. Because like I said at the beginning, in a normal school day, a lot of these things happen naturally because it's good teaching, but because we're virtual right now, we have to really think logistically how things could happen in this kind of a setting. Um, so, because the teacher's not gonna be teaching and say, you know what, Johnny, it's time for your break. You know, uh, you know. so is there like some yeah. kind of verbal cue that pops Other up on cue. Yes. Yeah. So go yeah. through going through them making sure. Yeah. And Sarah, what about, okay, so now we've, we've communicated and we're working on the IEP and we're communicating then what the meat of the IEP is as it's happening at home because we're looking at the goals and we're looking at the progress monitoring. But what about when parents feel like I have no idea what's going on at school or vice versa? Um, 
I always tell people that's one of the reasons we communicate at the beginning of the year because it sets the tone for that collaboration, which to me is the key to all of the advocacy. Um, But what do you do? What do you do if you just don't know? Okay. I think this is a really important question. So something I tell all of my family. (laughs) What did you say? I I like to ask important questions. So, well, it's so important, right? So I always tell our families, you are the CEO of this team, okay? You're driving the bus. You're the one who is giving information to the school about what your child needs and what they look like after school and what they're struggling with. And so you're driving the bus. If you are in the dark about what's going on at school, you need to reach out to the school. You can do so many different things. You can request an informal meeting with the teacher. You can request an IEP meeting. You can go in and look at records. You can ask for data. It is your right to review your child's records. Anytime you wanna look at those records, you can review the records. Um, The school does have to abide by um, certain safeguards that are in place for families. There are timelines to consider, but as a parent, I think it's very important that you understand that that data is available to you at any time. So look, you know, right now we're in this virtual setting. And so we have data at our disposal, like we never had before. We can sign on to their Dreambox account or, you know, to Learning Ally and see what they're reading. We can log into all of these different platforms and see what the data tells us and see what they're doing. Talk to your child, say, how are things going? You seem like you're really struggling or you seem like you're really doing well here. Maybe we need to change something. Um, But Keeping those lines of communication open is so critical. Developing a rapport with the school that's collaborative and positive is the most um, beneficial way to get what you need for your child. I always tell parents, you want to appeal to the emotions of those at the table. You want them to want to help your kid. So even when we're super upset about something and you feel like you're in the dark and you want to call the school and you want to scream and rage because you're so upset that your kid's upset, we don't recommend that you do that. You know, we want to make sure that you, you know, are handling this professionally and like you're the CEO and you're saying, I'm requesting whatever it is you're requesting. Um, and if you and can't, then, wait, you just need a little bit of time. If you can't do it today, yeah. give it 24 hours and yeah. then it will be okay. But right. there's, when you're so, so, so upset, and there are times to communicate when you are upset, but I agree. I tell parents that all the time. And I love what you just said, Sarah. That's the key to it all is that it's- communication, collaboration. So, okay, last question. Okay. Everybody, you know, people will listen to this at different times. And so the question is, when's it too late? When, you know, if, if, if it's November and I'm just now listening to this and Sarah says, oh, I need to communicate. I need to tell them about this. I need to start looking at progress monitoring. I need to get more involved at school. Is it too late? I mean, truly, honestly, it's never too late. I, I just, I think that um, we have to look at our children's education, like the most important 
um, the most important asset, you're like creating a person that's going to go out into the world, right? And you, if you are not the voice for that child, if you are not the champion and the advocate for your child, then I can guarantee nobody else is going to be. I say that all the time. We have to be able to be the champion and we have to support and scream from the mountains if we have to what your children need. So you never... Um, should be in a place where you feel like it's too late. If you've already gotten to a place where you're like butting heads with the school, send an email, send a letter, make a phone call and just say, hey, you know what? We got off to the wrong start. I know that we both have Johnny's best interest in mind. Let's get together and figure out how to, how to make a way forward. Um, how can we collaborate? Uh, what are the next steps here? Um, be that person, be that parent, because those are the parents who get what they need for their child. Yeah. The one who reaches out, the one who wants to collaborate, the one who's coming to the table with some of the solutions Certainly, you know, we don't expect parents to know all the answers because that's what teachers are for. They go to school, they learn how to do these things. But if you at least come to the table willing to collaborate and saying, you know what, hey, maybe maybe I didn't do a good job um, communicating at the beginning of the school year or I was unavailable or things were just, I've had so many parents right now actually just saying, I did nothing for six months with my kid for school. And we just like went out to the park every day because my kid was struggling so much emotionally. And yeah. I just was afraid I was going to lose my job and I've done nothing. And, and that's okay. We're all in different places. Yes. You, just, you just pick up where you are and start right. to baby steps forward. I mean, truly it could be just the most uh, minute step forward that can make all the difference in opening the doors or the lines oh, of communication. I love that. Yay. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I hope this, I hope this was helpful to your listeners. There's so much information I want to tell. <laughs> I know. Well, we'll have to have you back. This was super helpful. And maybe we can have you back and we can talk at the end of the first semester about like a semester check. -in oh, because yeah, that would be so fun. I love it. Okay. Like what, what should we do to consider the data that we received? How do we even know if the data is objective or is it subjective or where do we go from here? I love it. Yeah, let's do that. I do too. Thank you, Sarah. Have a good day. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye.